Hello and welcome to the UCLH COVID update. Today we're going to pick up really because you met with Gavin and Sarah about six weeks ago oh, for the first kind of <laughs> COVID update. So I guess we would like to know in six weeks what's changed, how we've got through that period. And um, I know myself as a ward manager going back six weeks ago, I had around 31 members of staff off sick at one yeah. time. I was facilitating moves from about a third of haematology nurses to work in ITU. Gavin worked in ITU, so I guess that's where we were then. But now it does seem to be a little bit more business as usual. So from, from your point of view, Yeah, so <laughs> I, I think it's been a very, very intense period and, and very rocky. And I think six weeks ago we were still at the peak as we call it now. Yeah. Um, at that time, we didn't know where the peak was going to end, but it did end, and then we saw a drop in patient numbers in new patients admitted to hospital and admitted to ITU, and fortunately also in patients who were dying of COVID. So I think we had a first peak, and we managed that, I think it's fair to say, successfully as an NHS, but in particular as, as UCLH. So it's been amazing what people have been doing, responding to being redeployed and, and doing difficult things and, and um, difficult jobs, being trained to do other jobs. Uh, and at the same time, as you say, we also wanted to maintain other services, non-COVID services to patients who really needed them. So lots of activities still in oncology, hematology, cancer, surgery. Uh, we were very fortunate having multiple sites at UCLH. So we could mm. actually continue doing a lot of non-COVID stuff in a, in a safe area for patients. But uh, yes, I think it's been an extremely intense period. And then we saw a drop in patients with COVID. And interestingly, the number of patients with other conditions going up, but fairly slowly. Mm -hmm. And now we are uh, gradually going back to normal. So, of course, we started with emergency procedures, emergency patients. And the levels of those patients, you know, with myocardial infarctions and, and stroke are almost back to where we would expect them to be. There is also other emergency stuff or semi-emergency stuff that we can now start to do again. So, for example, uh, you may say that a colectomy in a patient with inflammatory bowel disease is not a huge emergency in most cases, but if you wait for five, six weeks, it may become an emergency. So we have to do all that stuff uh, and get Nick back on track. But in the meantime, we're still having some COVID activity in London and in the hospital, so we need to separate these different pathways. And that's it's, it's a big puzzle, I have to say. Uh, it's much more difficult, actually, to get things back on track than to to stop everything. That's true, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think we do it step by step. We have very sensible people in all our different wards and departments, and um, so I'm quite confident that we will get there. And there's still patient groups that we do not see a lot. So the patients with minor injuries that come to A&E is still very, very low. And the patients that used to come to A&E for reasons of which I often thought, well, why do they come to A&E in the first place? They're still not coming. And if the numbers for COVID don't pick up, is there an expected period of time where it will take before more and more services can come Yeah, so normal, we have a plan or? and week on week on week we're doing more. But also, I think we've learned a lot in the past few weeks. So if you, if you think about outpatients and our massive move to telephone mm -hmm. consultations mm. and video consultations, many clinicians and patients say, oh, actually, I do not want to go back to the old situation. So we will reopen our outpatient services, but probably in a, in a 
different way from what we've been doing over the past few decades, probably. Yes. But yes, we will get back online. People talk about subsequent peaks of coronavirus infection. Yeah. The models are changing all the time. So the latest model now is that we may expect a peak somewhere in November ahead of, of the winter peak of respiratory infections. But... <laughs> I mean, a few weeks ago it was August, and before that it was another month. So I think nobody really knows. I suspect that we will see other peaks, but I hope and I think it will be little peaks, little blips now and then, mm -hmm. until we find a definitive solution, which is in my mind is the vaccine, of course. So if we don't have that sort of that peak coming, it's just a case of finding different pathways so that patients can still get the treatment they need, but not potentially bring COVID into the hospital and make sure staff and patients don't infect each other. Yeah, exactly. So it's patients not bringing it into the hospital, but also not contracting COVID in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it works two ways. And staff is, of course, very important. So we need to provide both patients, but uh, certainly staff with a protective equipment. If not, we cannot deliver these services. We need to have a very robust and large testing capacity. Viral swabbing will stay with us for a long time, but we will also having uh, serology back online, and that makes our life a little bit easier because mm -hmm. at least if you, if you have antibodies, then it's a little bit easier to understand where you are in this disease and how potentially immune you may be. I think that's a really, really common question. When might we get tested so we know if we've had it? Because I was a bit sick at the beginning of March or something like that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You want to have some certainty. Yeah. Well, it is available already and okay. we will roll it out. And NHS staff is one of the highest priority groups. So I think we will, we will be able to offer it very soon to staff. Those staff members that have already signed up for the vaccine trial that started mm -hmm. this week will have the result this week because it's part of that trial, because if you have antibodies, you cannot be part of that trial, because mm -hmm. it's one of the endpoints of the trial, actually. But those who choose not to be part of that trial will have to wait a little bit longer, yeah. but it will be available to everyone. I think staff surveillance swabbing as well, we've started. Yeah. So I think staff are a lot more confident now of coming to yeah. work. I think when we had the peak, it wasn't necessarily the worry that they're getting it from the patients. It's just day-to-day -day handovers, staff-to-staff -staff contact. Yeah, so there are different worries. So I've learned, it's, and actually most people are not that concerned about working in a high-risk environment because we actually do that all the time. Mm. Um, we also protect ourselves against influenza, etc. Yes. I think they were more worried about, am I going to bring something home to my family members? I may care for my parents who are elderly and, and may have comorbid conditions. So I think those worries and, and a lot of the unknowns made people really worried. And hopefully, since we've been learning so rapidly over the past few weeks, people feel a little bit more comfortable. So yeah, the number of staff members off sick are rapidly dropping. Yeah. Actually, the biggest group is those who are rightfully shielding themselves because of, of a, a medical condition or pregnancy or whatever. Yes. There's been some studies as well in the trust that I'm on, particularly um, the trial, you mean? The trial. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the safer trial. Yeah, the safer trial. Which is which yeah, is and it will so now give huge... you very rapidly your results. Yeah. So you so, I always say it's always good to be in a trial Absolutely. because it, yeah. it, it, apart from the fact that you help research yes. and knowledge, it's also sometimes very beneficial for yourself. Yeah. And it also provides a little bit of reassurance to people. Yeah. Is there an expected point where a patient's families might be able to come back in? Because if you have a better idea of what's yeah, going on with staff and very patients. Very good point. So, good so point. looking, so if I may make a comment, I'm not sure it's wise, but if I look back to the, 
to the situation in the past few weeks, I think we've we've done a fantastic job in this hospital. But the only thing I'm really still not sure about is is our visiting policy. Mm -hmm. And of course, I understand that we were in a situation that we did not want to bring potentially sick people in the hospital. We had to protect patients and staffing. But, you know, having very sick people in your hospital and not allowing visitors was really, I think that was the most painful decision that we've taken. And I'm, I'm not sure we should we will do that again. I need to think about, and probably many other people will have a similar idea. So yeah, I'm quite keen to get, well, at least a, a small number of visitors back in, into mm. hospital. And we may also, I mean, it's different if you're here for a knee operation only for three or four days. You may actually do without your family members for, it's not nice, but it's not the end of the world. But if you're here for cancer or a major procedure or in a very, uh, if you're very ill, or if you are, you know, a vulnerable person, I'm not so sure that it's a good idea to not allow visitors at all. I'm convinced we've delivered fantastic patient care and all quality and safety issues were, were fine. But this actually was, well, was a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. From a staff point of view, do you think the kind of support measures have been sufficient and been doing what we hoped they were doing in terms of like people coming out of this period of incredible high activity and then yeah. just starting to get back to normal it's it's hard to say so so we there's a couple of inventories going on so we will learn yeah. a lot so so i'm thinking about this a lot i'm doing a lot of clinical work myself in the past few weeks and observing things and 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 colleagues i think the biggest support is actually your colleagues that you work with on mm -hmm. a day-to-day -day base they provide by far the most support because they understand what you're doing, you understand what they are doing. And I think that support group is even stronger than the support you may get from family members because very often they do not completely understand your stress. And on the other hand, they and you may not completely understand their stress, but everybody has his own support system, I, I think. The societal support, yeah. well, even in the form of, you know, massive amounts of foods and chocolates and other stuff that came into the dress, yeah. I mean, it was really supportive, actually. Maybe not, even if you don't like pizzas and chocolates, <laughs> I think the whole idea that there is a massive group people of people outside of who yeah. think of you and who are yeah. very grateful. And that I think that's that pride, actually, of the community for the NHS and people working in the NHS is, is fantastic. And um, I, I found that really supportive. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the biggest recognition we're probably going to get in our lifetime for yeah. working in the NHS. <laughs> yeah. This is the peak. I think it will of, last of for a while, I actually. So, yeah. These things do last for a while. Yeah, no. yeah. yeah, It's been really nice. From staff, we kind of touched on like things that have happened flexible working-wise. I mean, what do you Oh, well, what yeah, do you that's another eye-opener, don't yeah. you think? So, so I've, I've just written a, a piece for a, for a newspaper on their request. And because I was never a big fan of working at home, because mm -hmm. I thought that, you know, I thought, oh, well, you know, it's very hard to concentrate when you're at home. And what will people do? They will just, you know, get the children from school and then do all the stuff. That's actually not true. The, sort of, the, the very large number of people who are working from home are extremely productive and, ex and, and producing lots of results. And once we fix the, the stuff like you have access to your computer system, the telephone can actually be converted to your mobile phone, etc. They were as good as they were doing when they were here in the office. Mm -hmm. So for me, the big learning point is we need to keep this because it's a waste of time for so many people traveling into London and going back home every day so maybe we can come to a model where you actually come in if you're a full-time worker you come in you know 
only once or twice a week because you have team meeting or you have to do things that you cannot do from home. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you can do a lot of things from home, even clinical work. And many people have demonstrated actually that they can do a lot of very useful clinical work from home as well. So it's not only admin work, it's also mm-hmm. clinical stuff. And, and, and so we need to be much more creative in the future and that will actually improve people's working conditions because we, many people do live very far away and have huge travel times and people actually do not like public transportation yeah. also because of the infection risk. I think Epic came at the right time, didn't it, last wow, year? Wow, that was... To yeah. enable that to happen, really. Yeah. Because it would have been... I think this, this is a very good trust. And we have fantastic people, but we actually are quite lucky. So we had Epic right yeah. on time. We decided to keep Westmoreland Street mm-hmm. because of financial benefits that we didn't expect. And that was extremely helpful for, for in this whole episode for cancer surgery. And then we will open phase four, which will actually enable us to have a very big COVID-free hospital and a new ITU space. So I think that nobody has foreseen all this, yeah. but we are very lucky. Yeah, for sure. And phase four has managed to stay on track in terms yeah. of like the building work. Hopefully throughout. even yeah. a little bit earlier. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, well, I have to say the above grant. Sure. A piece. So the uh, hematology and oncology hospital, the uh, surgery sp- space, the intensive care. Below ground, the proton beam is it's slightly delayed, but, but only a few months. But we hope that we can actually open the above ground of phase four somewhere in August, September. From your own perspective, like clinically, have you found it interesting treating COVID patients? And I guess like there's the coagulopathies that... Yeah, from a medical perspective, it was really exciting. And I think most doctors were really excited, most medics, I I should say, because this is a new disease and we were learning almost every day and and we were following our patients and we learned a lot how... Because this is different from everything we've seen. But to be totally honest, after a few weeks, people said, well... It's also a little bit boring, just one type of disease. From a scientific perspective, it's also it was extremely interesting and productive with indeed the recognition of the coagulopathy, the thrombosis in, in COVID patients, and trying to understand what's going on and trying to anticipate on treatments for those patients. That, that, that was, a, well, that was also quite unexpected, but um, made it an, uh, an interesting time. But it's actually the second time in my short career at UCLH that we have had a period that people were extremely well working together, very result driven, very good decision maker at every level, not looking, you know, up to someone else to take a decision, but just do things, getting on with it. Uh, The first time, the first little peak we had when we introduced Epic, but I think the much bigger and much more prominent peak was actually now during the COVID infection. So I think we have to learn a lot of this as an organization because we are so much more effective if we do work together and if we just take decisions. And it is not a bad thing to take a wrong decision. I think it's a bad thing not taking decisions. I hope that we will all remember that that's what we've learned and and that we can keep it that way. Yeah. I mean, I've seen teamwork, probably the best I've seen in 15 years. I've had nurses you know, volunteer to work in ITU without any experience. They want to help. Uh, you know, 
doctor, just every everybody wants to help. Yeah, so it's... that's so. Now you mentioned also the interdisciplinary collaboration. So, so I've, I've I've spent quite a lot of time on AEMU. The way the doctors and the nurses were working together was so much better than what we usually do <laughs> when we are all in our silos and and actually do not interact a lot with other disciplines. Yeah. Uh, and it's not only doctors and nurses; it's also allied health professionals and and others on the ward. So yeah, I was very impressed by that. Yeah, yeah. So we meet back in six weeks then and see where we are eventually. <laughs> <Yes, I know. laughs> <laughs>